0: The Stock Dads are back for season two of their hit podcast, Stocks and Sandals. Sandals. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to build generational wealth. So tuck in your t-shirt, put your Crocs in
1: sport mode, and let's grill up some profits. Here are your hosts, DJ
0: Brown and Mike Zabala. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. This is your host Mike Sabala and I'm joined by DJ Brown. And this is our uh, first episode we are recording back. This is not the first episode you guys will be hearing, but this is the first one back at it. Right, DJ?
1: Yeah, so a good disclaimer in case this goes horribly, which it yep. may very well.
0: we going to be rusty. <laughs> <laughs> very Wonderful. rusty. Thanks for picking me for this one, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, of
1: course, we had to bring back our old friend, Mike Tedeschi from Perspective Wealth Planning. If you guys listened to us in season one, you've heard from him multiple times if you're in our Discord you've heard from him a lot more. He is the professor. He does all of our education in our discord and he does a lot more than that outside of the discord as well. Mike, just give the people a real quick rundown of yourself again cuz hopefully we have some new listeners this time around that may not have heard you yet.
2: Sure. Thanks for the introduction. I'm the wealth manager over at Perspective Wealth Planning. I manage the company's portfolios and then I work with you guys to provide a lot of education for people that are looking to learn to trade on their own, just learn anything about stocks, the economy, etc. And that's what I'm here for today to teach you guys a thing or two, hopefully.
1: Yeah, awesome. We're actually really excited to be launching a one-on-one coaching program with you starting next month, which will be pretty cool. So
2: yeah, I'm looking forward to that a lot. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, getting some one-on-one time with Mike is pretty valuable. So just something to consider. So I'm just going to kind of kick us right off. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is hefty. (laughs) And it's so hefty that we're going to be breaking it down into like a multi podcast series. And it's basically going to cover how the financial system works. So we're going to kind of start off today with just like the Federal Reserve, which if you're like me, you've heard of it. You know, it's there. You don't fully understand how it works, why we have one or anything like that. So we're going to kind of just roll right off the bat with that. And then we'll get into some of the fun stuff later, of course. So Mike, my first question is, why do we have a Federal Reserve? Well, that is a very
2: large question. So it's going to take me a few minutes to answer that one. We got to go back in time to really understand why we have the Federal Reserve, right? The Federal Reserve Bank, as we know it now, was set up in 1913. But before that happened, let's go all the way back to Alexander Hamilton back in the 1700s, okay? Oh, boy. We really are going way back. (laughs) We're going way back because you guys have to understand it, right? If you've ever seen the musical Hamilton, you know how Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton were always getting on about the banking system that Alexander Hamilton set up. He thought it was absolutely necessary for the new government to create credit and support a stronger economy through a nationalized bank. So we set up the first national bank, in the United States, in 1791. And that always faced a lot of opposition, especially from the South. The South really didn't like the fact that the North was playing financial games, they thought, which didn't really benefit them. They didn't fully understand exactly what was going on, so there was always that fight between the North and the South in terms of setting up that bank. And when James Madison was president, they actually disbanded the National Bank in 1811. All right. Madison really quickly learned that it was very hard to fight a war, the war of 1812, without a national bank to fund the government. And so, after we had the war of 1812, that really caused we need to kind of go back to what we were doing before type thing. So we set up the Second National Bank of the United States back in 1816. Now this one lasted a little bit longer than the original one from 1791. But populist Andrew Jackson decided to destroy the national bank again in 1836. So the second national bank is gone. So <laughs> we had a lot of let's do this. I don't know if we should do this type of going back and forth. Mm. And when we get into the eighteen thirties, we now get into known what is known as the Wildcat Banking Years. All right. It was the free banking era and it ran from 1836 to like 1865. And the reason it was called the Wildcat Bank there was, I believe, about 8,000 state-run banks they were set up by the time we got into the 1860s. Now, some of these were well-capitalized banks and others were set up in areas where wildcats lived. And it was very difficult for people to actually get to the bank to turn their banknotes in for gold and silver. So kind of like scammy, you could think about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of issues during that time period. Again, 8,000 <laughs> different currencies. And I'm sure you've probably seen some, if you've ever you know, gone into a coin shop or anything where you just have this state printing bills. This state printing bills. There's just so many different ones. They, they were so, big. like
1: Bitcoin, right? Was one of them?
2: Yeah, Bitcoin was one of them back <laughs> in the 1800s. Yep, yeah, you know, we totally had that going on with the, all the electricity that was back then.
1: <laughs> so, they, they mined it then. It was like legit mining back then. Oh know? yeah,
2: it was. It was absolutely. That was when you actually got a Bitcoin from the stream. You know, you're out yeah. panning <laughs> pickaxe and everything. <laughs> so, if you can kind of imagine that setup. Right. You've got tons of state banks all putting out different pieces of paper, all meaning different things. Some banks you can't even get to. You have to get through cougars in order to get to the bank. Like it's just a complete wild, wild west.
0: Now (laughs) you're talking, now you're explaining this now. (laughs) I can interject here a little bit.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So we continue to run into major, major, major issues. Okay. And one of the biggest problems is that the system that we had wasn't elastic at all during that period of time, right? And what I mean by that is the banking system couldn't expand and contract based on supply and demand. So we had tons of banks that would fail because runs on banks, right? Oh goodness gracious! We heard that the bank doesn't have a lot of money, and then everybody wants to get their money at the same time, and that destroys the whole system, right? You've got to have a system that can expand and contract with demand, and if you don't, you run into you know runs on banks, which we had a banking panic in this country like every couple of years from like the 1800s all the way up until we set the federal reserve okay in fact before the great depression in the 1920s the 1870s was known as the great depression because of massive issues in terms of the banking system hmm. and then you had the panic of 1884 and the panic of 1890 and the panic of 1893 and so on and so forth so we needed some sort of system, or we were just going to continue to have this incredible, there's just no stability at all in the economy. Is my money worth anything? Like, what is going on? And that makes a very, very tough backdrop in order to build a really strong economy. So, in 1907, we had another really large panic in 1907. And this was the panic where JP Morgan stepped in. Now, JP Morgan, we all know the company still exists today. He wasn't the richest of all of the titans back then. But he had control of a ton of money and was able to sit down with 40 or 50 banks, right? And sort of did what we did back in 2008, where the big banks bought out the banks that were having difficulty. All right. So JP Morgan stepped in and said, all right, these large banks, we're going to insure the debts of the smaller banks. We'll kind of buy up those assets, kind of thing, and quell this panic. Because if we don't do that, we're in a lot of trouble. And that actually, we were able to avoid a full on depression and crash at that time because of that. And then again, 2008, we kind of had that same type of playbook where buying the distressed assets and the larger banks were able to kind of take that cushion. It put some stability back into the system. It gave people some confidence and we avoided, you know, complete and total panic. But with everything that had happened up to that point, the writing was on the wall. We needed some sort of established federalized banking system. And After that banking panic in 1907, we finally got to the point six years later where we had the Federal Reserve Act, which was put out in 1913, which is now the system that we have today. Now, there's obviously been some changes since then, but that gives you a pretty good backstory of why we needed to have the Federal Reserve.
0: So with that said, like, how does it work? Like why does the Federal Reserve work? Like what exactly are they doing for all these banks?
2: So we have now, we have one currency. Right. So everybody gets the US dollar in their hand. They know what it's worth. Right. And it's, you know, globally, you know, the US dollar holds weight in all the different countries in the world as well. It's backed by the full faith of the federal government. So we have one currency. It's not like the state of Indiana is competing with New York. You're like, oh man, is this New York dollar going to be any good today? I don't know. Oh, you're going to pay me in New Jersey dollars? I don't want those. You know, Mm -hmm. like that just doesn't work for, you know, uh, commerce. So one centralized, consistent currency where we know what the value is, everybody will take it, you get handed a dollar bill, you know what that's worth, and that allows businesses to not have to worry about, should I accept this currency, should I accept that currency? They can just take the US dollar and and do what they need to do.
0: Gotcha. So was that an issue back in the day, like with the different values for all the dollars? How did that work? We had 8,000
2: competing state-run banks. so. Uh You know, money used to be tied to gold and silver. We obviously got off the gold standard in this country, so it's not backed by anything anymore but the full faith of, you know, the federal government. Way back in the day, if you look at the currency, it was exchangeable for gold and silver. So Right. But how much gold and silver did these little banks have? There was no oversight. There was nothing. And so again, like I could set up Mike's Bank in the middle of rural West Virginia and send out all these bills and claim I've got all this gold. Nobody can find where my bank is located. <laughs> Should I take this piece of paper? If I'm a business, is this good? Mm-hmm. Can I actually get gold and silver? Like, it was a mess. Lots of fraud, lots of issues. There's just no way to have a consistent economy with that type of system in play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, how is the Federal Reserve structured generally? What does that look like? Because, I mean, it's not like run by the president. It's not run by, you know, Congress or maybe, I don't know. How does that work? It's a
2: quasi government agency, uh, the best way that I can describe it. So, the government has a lot to do with it, but at the same point in time, it is an independent entity. So, let's go back and look at a couple of major changes that have happened since 1913 and really what the Federal Reserve is meant to do in today's world. So, after the Great Depression, they put out the Banking Act of 1935, and that's what actually established the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC. You may have heard that they, they meet multiple times a year. That's where you get your rate decisions from. The FOMC was designed for the Fed monetary policy decision-making body. Okay, that's what that is for. That's are we going to raise interest rate? What are we going to do? That they're making that decision, and that. Was didn't happen for the first 22 years of the Federal Reserve. Then we had the huge inflation issue in the 1970s, right? And Congress put out another act. It was the Federal Reserve Reform Act of 1977. And this gave the Fed the dual mandate that it has today. Sorry, it's one piece of the dual mandate. There was the second piece of that act that came out, the Full Employment and Balanced Growth Act of 1978. So 1977. The Fed was now explicitly set up to have price stability as the national goal for the first time. Like you are designed to keep prices stable, right? Living through that incredible, you know, inflationary period, the public obviously, you know, panicked, et cetera. Like we needed to do something. And so that was the goal. Let's make sure prices are stable. And then the following year in 1978, the second policy goal is full employment. So the dual mandate that the Federal Reserve has now is price stability and to have full employment. all right. And the last piece to it would be back in 2010, the Dodd-Frank Act was the last major you know, piece to the Federal Reserve. And that basically made it more open to scrutiny, expanded the supervisory responsibilities of the Fed to try to limit fraud. And so those have been all the major components that have been put in place since the 1913s. So how is it structured now? Okay. The Federal Reserve is a two part structure. You've got the central authority called the Board of Governors, which is located in Washington, D.C., and a decentralized network of 12 Federal Reserve banks that are throughout the U.S., right? So that is Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Richmond, Atlanta, Chicago, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Dallas, and San Francisco.
0: Those are all the different. Fed locations. You you missed Iowa's, I think. No. No, I don't think I did. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh.
2: So, they meet for the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, and that brings together members of the Board of Governors and the presidents of the Reserve Banks to help set that monetary policy. The Board of Governors The president nominates and the Senate confirms. So, this is why it is a quasi government agency. It's not completely just out there, do whatever the heck you want. The Board of Governors of the Fed is nominated by the US president and then confirmed by the Senate. So, the board is a federal agency that reports and is accountable to Congress. All right. And that gives the board in DC oversight over the 12 reserve banks. The reserve bank employees are not government employees. So, again, it is an independent entity, but we have government controls in there. So when you're like, I don't understand the Fed, it's a very confusing system and not very many people do. There's a lot going on with it. So let's do, I'll yeah, leave it there.
1: So the government or the ones that are nominated and have to be confirmed and all that kind of stuff? Do they have like term limits? Is that forever thing until they die?
2: (laughs) No, it's not one of those things until they die. There's actually, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but I know there's an age requirement where you get to a certain age, you can't serve anymore. They're staggered so that you're not replacing the entire board at one point in time. I believe it's on even years. And I think maybe it's like a 14-year term. Don't quote me on that. But there are limits on that that are set in place. And it's definitely set up so one person at one group in control of the government can't come in and completely change the board out, which would be a huge problem if that's what we were doing. (laughs) Okay.
0: So I might be getting ahead of the discussion here, but I mean, I think we've all like seen the memes where it's just like the Federal Reserve is just like cranking out money, you know? (laughs) So there right? <laughs> we going to bring that back? I forgot one. about your money, go, money printer noise. <laughs> <laughs> so we've seen the meme, but like, I mean, is that what's happening pretty much? Are they just like printing money and Is that how it works or is there more to it than that?
2: So when you think of printing money, we take out the money printer, you know, memes or whatever. You think that the Federal Reserve is just sitting in the back of a warehouse with a ton of printers just printing hundred dollar bills. That is Mm -hmm. not what happens at all. There's no actually physical printing of money at all. Right. The Fed creates money by lending it to banks. All right. So. The banks have to have a 10% reserve requirement. All right. Now, they disbanded that last year during the pandemic, which meant banks didn't have to hold any of their capital back. So, if you're a bank and you have a million dollars, you have a million dollars that you can lend out to the economy, right? Now, if I'm the Federal Reserve and I say, hey, I'm going to lend you another million, I'm going to lend you two more million. Now, you've got three, four, five million dollars that you can lend out. So, it's creating money. So the printing of money is not physically printing of money, but they are creating money. So so the goal is to get that money into the banks that then lend that out to businesses and it trickles down and goes through the economy. right? And that's why you have different rates that you hear too when you're talking about interest rates. You've got the overnight rate to banks, which is the Fed fund rate, and that's a quarter of a percent. You can't go get a loan for a quarter of a percent that's not gonna happen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? You know, they then lend it out, they're gonna make their piece on, and all of a sudden now you're getting your 30 year mortgage and you're paying 3%, right? I mean, it just, it it goes up that way. But the Fed basically can give money to the banks or it can take money back out from the banks, all right? And it does that through the purchasing of treasury bills, right? I'll purchase treasury bills or they will sell those treasury bills and that will expand and decrease the money supply that is out there. And that's one of the tools that they've got in their belt.
1: Is there like a literally finite amount of actual like dollar bills that exist already? So if you're saying there's no printers is the number of, or is the amount of money like done? And then it just gets, No, they're always printing
2: money out. because they're actually taking money out. Like, You don't find dollar bills that are ripped and turned into shreds anymore, right? You know, when a bank gets that money, they send it off, it gets destroyed, they create new money in its place. You know, you do need to print some extra money, but that's not where the money is coming from. That's more what I'm getting at. We do create and destroy actual physical currency on a regular basis, right? You know, because if you think about it, like you get quarters, you know, there's 2021 quarters, and next year there'll be 2022 quarters. Like they have to actually make those,
1: right? And then they destroy the old ones.
2: Yep again like we can increase it a little bit like if we need it we're trying not to have cash shortages
1: maybe i'm the only dummy that didn't know that they destroyed old money that's i I think
0: it's a good question dj
1: (laughs) (laughs) i guess that's the purpose of this podcast so that's super interesting i guess that's why like you know when they have like those quarter collector maps and you can like collect and try and get all of them from that year and stuff like it's actually kind of a cool collectible and stuff it's like okay Anyways, I digress. Sorry. Um Nerd. So, <laughs> I actually had one of those growing up. Anybody I had one in? of those too. I did okay. too. Yeah. I, I gave up like halfway through and I think I spent You're it on like- You're supposed to send it back to the Fed for them to destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a
2: ploy. I was like, oh
1: no. <laughs>
2: you didn't send it back in. <laughs> FBI, open up.
1: <laughs> Dang it. Uh, that's not the way I thought I'd go down, you know? Yeah.
0: DJ's um, on a lot of watch lists if this is the one they they get (laughs) him for I'm gonna be surprised
1: yeah that's me okay so who is it accountable to anybody because it's like a quasi government is it like accountable to the government is it accountable to like the people like how yeah, I mean, we have
2: work? oversight though. So I mean, twice a year they have to put out the monetary policy report. You get independent audited statements. You have the FOMC minutes, which happened, you know, like a, a couple of weeks after the FOMC meeting. It's all public record. All the information is out there. They're not doing anything in secret. And a lot of people do think that, you know, like, oh, they print all the money, they control everything. It's a bunch of like evil people sitting in a building. And no, like it actually has that you know, clarity to it. You can see exactly what they're doing, the decisions that they're making. And you can see which one of the, and the reason why the FOMC minutes is interesting, right? The FOMC rate decision comes out, they make their decision, but then you wait to see what was actually said in the meeting when it comes out a couple of weeks later, because, you know, three of the bank heads are like, you know what? I think we're going to need to increase interest rates. Like you can see what percentage is shifting and that's why it moves market. It
1: gives you some understanding of what's going on. So it's not- I was hitting. just going to ask why whenever Jerome- Powell talks the markets do crazy things so
2: <laughs> I mean that's the guy that's printing lots of money for us especially you know over the last year or so I mean we were at a point where they started buying actual junk bonds which was the first time they ever did that because things did not look good so without Powell stepping in probably would have had a much worse year last year hmm. yeah I guarantee we would have had a much worse year last year
0: So can you kind of go into like, what is inflation? And like, does the Federal Reserve control that? Or what kind of hand do they play in inflation?
2: Sure. So we have two pieces to the puzzle. There's inflation and there's deflation. Okay. If $1 today buys you a hamburger, Right. And next year the $1 buys you a hamburger. You have no inflation. You have no deflation. Right. The money value stayed exactly the same. If next year that hamburger costs a dollar and 20 cents, well, then it's gotten 20% more expensive. So we've had an inflation of 20% in that particular item. It can go the other way too, where you have deflation, where next year all of a sudden that hamburger is 80 cents instead of a dollar. Right. The goal of the Federal Reserve, they laid it out in 2012, is to target 2% annualized inflation. And the reason they target a positive inflation rate is arguably deflation is worse than inflation for an economy. Out of control either direction isn't good, but if you think about what inflation does, Right? If my money is going to be worth less next year and it's going to be worth less the following year and less the following year, are you going to take that money and stick it underneath your mattress? Or are you going to go spend it? Right, We're trying to get people to spend more money and stimulate the economy. If we have inflation, people aren't saving that money. They're going out and spending it. In a deflationary environment, why would you spend the money? Because, you know, next year you're going to be able to buy more and then you're going to be able to buy more and you're going to be able to buy more. So you would sock it away underneath your mattress because, you know, in a year or two, I'm going to be able to buy three times as much stuff. So from an economy standpoint, deflation is always the bigger concern because once you start headed down that spiral, right, it's very hard to come out of a deflationary, you know, environment. And so go ahead. You want to jump in there?
0: Yeah. So why don't they just target like 0% inflation? Like why doesn't... They just keep everything the same
2: so again we're trying to stimulate right that's the goal so if we keep it at zero then it's something you're on the fence of should i get it should i not get it you're not going to get it right but there's also an inherent bias in the way that they view the interest rate so a two percent inflation rate is probably closer to zero than to two because they overstate certain things that's a lot of economists have said. So when they actually target two, they're kind of erring on the side of caution, I guess, would be the better way to say it, because they really want to avoid deflation at all costs. Okay, That's why we're targeting that 2%. And 2% is not painful. Right. Mm-hmm. If we have twenty percent inflation, it becomes painful. And that's been the talk this year As we've seen really, really high inflation rates that are well above two percent. Mm-hmm. And they keep saying it's transitory, it's transitory, it's transitory. It's only for a short time frame as the supply chains in the world have gotten all messed up when they get back to normal. You know, we'll see that kind of normalize. We'll see whether they're right on that fact or not here mm-hmm. as time goes on. But you know, we don't want 10, 15, 20 percent inflation rates. That's really bad as well, because I it's pandemonium in the other direction. So as close to stability as possible is the goal.
1: Right. Okay. So explain how inflation affects the market directly. So like, if I hear like, okay, you're saying inflation means that we want to go out and spend more money because it'll be worth less next year. So in my mind, okay, like inflation would be good for the market. Like all these companies are going to have more money pouring into it and all that kind of stuff. So, but that's not necessarily the case.
0: So can you just kind of, can you just kind of describe how that
2: works? Inflation across the board is equal. Like from a theoretical standpoint, it's equal. Like, so let's say I was making a million dollars this year, right? We got 10% inflation rate. Well, now I'm going to make $1.1 million, right? But my cost to make that million dollars also went up 10%. Right. So, you know, maybe on that million dollars, maybe I spent five hundred thousand bucks in order to make that other, you know, five hundred thousand dollars. Well, now my cost have now gone up to five hundred and fifty thousand, whatever the case may be. So the inputs increase as well. Right. I have to pay my employees more because the hamburger is more expensive and they still need to buy that. Rents go up, everything. Like it pushes everything up. Right, together. That's how it works. Now, obviously, some areas of the economy do much better. Certain companies have the margins work out better for them, and so that's why there definitely are some areas that do better in an inflationary environment. Commodities, for example, tend to do very, very well. You know, in an inflationary environment. You've seen that with steel prices, and you know that type of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because, from my like uneducated perspective, right? You know, like at work, you know, they always try to do like an annual raise, you know, to combat like inflation and
2: uh, cost of living increase, right?
0: Yeah. I think people hear the term inflation and automatically associate it with like a bad thing because they don't always get a 2% raise. So they're like, no, I'm losing money and everything, but it's better than deflation at least.
2: So here's another reason why like the inflation and we start talking about colas, what it's commonly referred to as the cost of living adjustment. Is we don't raise federal minimum wage and we haven't done it in like 15 years. So, like, Mm -hmm. you know, IT supporter, for example, might have been making 50 grand last year. Now, maybe they're making 54,000 this year when they go in for their raise. The guy in the bottom is not getting that raise. Mm -hmm. So, inflation really hurts the poorest in the economy if we don't pick them up. And that's why I've always said, like, minimum wage shouldn't be like some random number. I think it should just be tied to inflation and we never have the conversation again, right? That way, their Mm -hmm. purchasing power stays the same. But the wealthy people control a lot of the you know, the decision-making process in the world, and they like inflation because back to your question of what does it do to the market? The market's an asset, right? So if everything's going up in value, what's the market going to do? It's probably going to go up in value as well. Same thing with housing. If you own houses and you own stocks, inflation over time, the value of your holdings goes up, right? And so you're able to deal with increases in costs of goods. If you don't own assets, inflation kills you you know, a decade of like two percent inflation and your money is worth, you know, ten percent less than it was. A lot you know, it's like your purchasing power just erodes and erodes and erodes. Which, Which is, is
1: why keeping cash is not in like a savings and not investing is not, you know, a great way to build wealth, you know? Correct. Like Outside
2: large- of like, if you have an emergency that you know you're gonna need, or you're doing a pro- like you need to keep a little bit, a couple of months worth of money. But outside of that, the rest of it should be working for you. Like if you know you need money in two months, you can't invest all of it because the market can go down in two months. But right.
1: if you're holding onto that money for two years, it's worth less, it's not good. Right. So, Mike, do you have any other questions about inflation before I, because I'm going to switch gears.
0: No, I think you're good.
1: Okay. So we've talked about inflation. Let's talk a little bit about interest rates. Can you just kind of explain like, you know, what are the federal interest rates and like how slash does the Federal Reserve, you know, control those? What does that look like?
2: So that's part of that Federal Open Market Committee's decision making process is where to set the Fed fund rate. That's the overnight lending rate so to speak. Okay. So right now it's sitting at a quarter of a percent, right? Zero to to a quarter of a percent. The more you raise interest rates, the more money you take out of the economy. All right. Because now when I'm lending that money as the bank out to you, more of that is getting eaten up. For me to get that million dollars before it was costing me 2,500 bucks, now it's costing me $20,000. You know, like As interest rates go up, to borrow that money costs more money. Right? So if I have less money to lend out, I'm shrinking the monetary supply. So when we're raising interest rates, things are rocking and rolling and we don't want things to get overheated, right? When we go back to our conversation that we just had about inflation, right? If we're running an inflation rate of 25, 30%, like how do we combat that? We've got to pull money out of the system. If you look at what Volkner did back in the 70s, that's what he did. He ratcheted up the interest rates. It was painful as all heck, but it solved the problem, right? So. That is the function that they use. We increase interest rates if we wanna take money out of the economy, we decrease interest rates and we wanna put money into the economy. And what we've got over the last few years is we're at zero. Do we go negative, right? If we wanna increase money into the system, do we go with negative interest rates? Or do we start doing open market activities? And that's purchasing different things that the Fed's been doing, and that's where we've gone. We haven't gone to negative interest rates in this country. but If your lever is up and down and you're at zero, you kind of can't go down, right? And that's the reason why when we look at what happened last year with the coronavirus, like, what could the Fed have done? We could have gone negative interest rates or we could have started buying stuff to put money back out there. And so that's what they did. They bought stuff.
0: I remember kind of when that was happening. And I think I remember people saying, like, negative interest rates would be really bad. Can you kind of describe, like... What would that look like? What would negative interest rates look
2: like? The European Union has had negative interest rates on things.
0: (laughs) They went negative.
2: It's not necessarily a bad thing. You're just getting paid to borrow money. It's another way of stimulating things. How awesome would it be for you as a consumer to go, you know what? I want to buy a new house. And the bank goes, well, yeah, here you go. Here's half a million dollars, and we're gonna pay you every year to, to borrow that money. <laughs> yeah. Like, we would all be like, whoo, yes, I mean it would be awesome. Nice. I would this yeah, is great. I get I a would house do that. And you're paying me <laughs> woo. <laughs> right. So, I mean, as a bank, like from a business standpoint, you'd never want to do that, but the Fed could kind of change the rules of the game as such that that's what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you don't want to head down that path. It sounds really good on the surface. But if your banks are now lending out money, losing money, lending money, how does the banking system work properly? How do they mm-hmm. make money? Uh, this
1: Wells Fargo will start charging us for breathing. <laughs> 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 but no. <laughs> That's interesting. So the interest rates going up and down, like, again, I kind of want to just tie this back to, like, the market. How does that affect typically like a company, you know, that you may be invested in or that you may be interested in trading or whatever, like, you know, sure. increased in interest rate, what does that do for your market thought processes?
2: Sure, so have you heard the term zombie companies?
1: Yes. That's I honest. don't know what it means, but okay, I've heard well, it.
2: let's go. It's companies that just lose money. That's just all they do. They just lose money. They shouldn't be alive. The natural order of things, these guys should be dead, right? But they stick around, they're zombies. They're able to stay alive because there is always money that they can borrow. Right, the bond market is how companies get their money. Right, I'm going to sell you a bond. I'm going to pay you interest on it, and I'll pay it out over the next five years. And in turn, you're going to give me money, and I'm going to take that money and I'm going to build a new building. I'm going to hire new people. I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to do that. That's what spurs companies' growth, right? If they need capital, so when interest rates are really low, it's very easy for them to borrow money. The money is basically free when interest rates are that low. So you've got, oh cool, I can take 20 year, I'll make a 20 year bond and I'll pay like 1.5% on it. Cool. (laughs) It gives me the ability to to try to make it. And so there's a lot of companies that just don't make money and continue to sell their bonds and they're just like, they just don't seem like they should be there, but they're able to because interest rates are low. If you ratchet up those interest rates, the cost of borrowing that money goes way up and it makes it a lot more difficult for them to get that capital. And now, if I'm going to get paid as an investor, if I'm going to get paid five percent for investing in Coca-Cola bonds, or I'm going to get paid six and a half percent to get bonds from this company that doesn't make any money, what am I going to take? I'm going to take the safe money and they can get pushed out of the marketplace, so to speak, and that you know could be bad. But I mean, even Coca-Cola, now when they want to make that bond sale, they might not. I'm not going to open that bottling plant up because I don't want to pay seven and a half percent on this bond. It messes up my numbers. I need to get that money at two percent for it to work, right? Which can lead to now you don't get more jobs. That that area doesn't get growth. That can hurt everything as well. So, higher interest rates tighten the supply of money. Tightening the supply of money makes things tougher in the market. So, when you see the market go, oh my goodness, we're raising interest rates and start selling off, that's the reason why. And it's like it's going to be harder for businesses to do what they need to do. Now, having an interest rate of 2% shouldn't freak the market out. But we're so used to that 0% quarter of a percent free money that, yeah, you know, that can kind of be scary. Interest rates used to be a lot higher than they are right now. And I think the economy ultimately would be fine when we got to that point. But there would certainly be a lot of complaining out of the stock market for a while before people realized it's not the end of the world.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I don't have any more questions on it, DJ.
1: Awesome. My head's uh, spinning already. I think this has been plenty for one part of a larger series that we want to do with you. So I don't want to harp too much more on this. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on, Mike? Did we miss anything huge for the first
2: round here no i think we had a pretty good we start all the way back in the 1800s and we ended up well, 1700s and we ended <laughs> yeah. up here today i think so that's the, I think had that quite was, a journey that's right?
1: plenty for a 45 <laughs> minute episode so yeah uh, so yeah i mean well like as always i mean let's jump in and i i'm hoping that mike you know you came prepared with some dad jokes being as though you're a return customer return customer return guest so boss,
2: I, I don't or, really have a dad joke today like usual because you know my favorite childhood comedian norm mcdonald passed away this week uh, so I, instead mm-hmm. i decided i would deliver my favorite one-liner of his oh, okay right. that's uh, fair yeah i once walked in on my parents having sex it was the most embarrassing 30 minutes of my life <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that's something so, uh, i could see mike saying like mike Zabala actually saying in real life <laughs> <laughs> No,
0: I might say it. I mean, I wouldn't do it. But Sure. sure. <laughs> this is an embarrassing story. I probably shouldn't even say it. But that happened to me once. Oh, what for am thirty I minutes? What am I Not for thirty minutes, but it happened. <laughs> just once. sitting in the
2: corner crying. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like,
1: <"What?" laughs>
0: no, yeah, it was traumatic.
1: I can um, imagine your mom yeah. listens to these episodes too. So I know. I know. You know yeah, I know. Be great.
0: So I'll tell the story. Do you guys want to hear the story? I don't have to tell. It. <laughs> I mean, I
1: kind of feel like I do, but I don't want the graphic details. I don't oh, really God, no. Please know. Please.
0: No. OK, so I didn't hang around like, OK, but all right. So it was. What are you guys doing in there? To my my dismay, it wasn't all that long ago. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) gosh. So, all right. So, here's what happened. All right. So, I was in college. And I was home over, like, summer break or something. And, like, I'm a huge dork plays video games and everything. So, I was at home. I was up super late playing video games. And it was like two in the morning. I was going to bed. And so like to get to my room, I had to walk up the stairs and my parents room was like right at the top. And then I took a left, like down the hall and my room was there. Okay. So I was walking up the stairs at like two and I heard my dad like making this noise (laughs) and and like my dad's super old. Okay. So I thought he was like having a heart attack or something. So I like (laughs) cautiously opened the door and I was like, dad (laughs) I was like are you okay and he's like yeah I'm okay and I was like okay (laughs) and I left I was like brushing my teeth and everything I was like that was weird like what was going on and like I was thinking about it I was just like this Uh, is weird uh, and so like I was laying in bed and I was like I wonder like are they lying to me or something and then it like Hit me, and I was like, Oh my god, <laughs> like they were freaking doing it! <laughs> and so, like, it just yeah, uh, that, that's it, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious, that's yeah. really funny. So,
1: the good old days, you know, so
0: that's the story. Yep,
1: back in college, you know, most mm-hmm. kids have that like experience when they're like five, you, yeah. you know, that's no, I, I understand, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah. All right, well, dude, I have so many good ones, man. I've been storing them up for months while we've been waiting on these. I yeah. think they're good. They never really yeah. are. So what's the cheapest cut of meat you can buy? What? Deer balls. They're always under a buck.
0: <laughs> You're so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> That's good. That's uh, good stuff. That I feel like that is a good dad joke. It is. Like, I could it see is. a dad making his children cringe
1: mm-hmm. yep so just like your dad so, made you cringe
0: yeah okay <laughs> so, <laughs> you understood the assignment good job BJ. I, I understood it i don't have one because i'm super unprepared for this podcast like in general <laughs> <You've> <laughs> so i don't four have four
1: months one. to prepare
0: i know okay but hold on though so if you could have a superpower what would it be
1: Is this a joke or is this like a real question?
0: It's a question.
1: Hmm. I think it's got to be invisibility. You just
2: go into
0: the vault and steal all I want. Interesting. Okay. You would perv. You'd use it for (laughs) other reasons. (laughs) He'd go back to his parents' room. (laughs) I should have never told you guys this. (laughs) You really shouldn't have. You really shouldn't have. I kept it a secret throughout all of college. Dude, that surprises myself. me
1: too because of the things that you've walked in on me doing during college. So, you know, it's like, man,
0: it's I it's like, true. Didn't realize true. we had secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the story I'm still for, holding back on the noise. A story for another time. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. I'd think that I would pick teleportation. Think that would be cool.
0: Yeah, that's also what I would pick. I feel like you can just teleport into the vault, you know. Like if you're invisible, you still gotta like sneak around and like get in when it's open and like.
1: I didn't you know, even think about that angle. Better than the vault, I, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even so. think about that angle, but I was just thinking it'd be cool to like travel wherever I want. Such
0: a good natured guy. It, wow. would be, uh, it would be cool for travel too, bud. It
1: would. Yeah, I wouldn't have to get on planes anymore. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh. All right. So let's wrap this bad boy up. Because people are probably already tuning out by now. So might as well, you know, move mm-hmm. on with our day, move on with our lives. Thank you again, Mike, for joining us. As always, your knowledge is ridiculous and stupid and makes me feel really bad My about myself.
2: My knowledge is stupid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, your knowledge <laughs> that is makes stupid. makes me feel real good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel really bad about myself. So, yeah. you know, i just put you down yeah. any way I can.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel I'm genuinely at the point where like, I feel like I could have a conversation with you about like virtually anything. Yeah. And just like learn something.
1: Yeah, you're like Rain Man. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 212 toothpicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But so not uh, buy my
2: underwear at Kmart though, so.
1: That's good, that's good. Where do you buy your underwear?
2: Oh man. <laughs> amazon everything comes off amazon Amazon. dude five percent cash back on anything and they deliver it to my front door
1: that's not bad that's not bad i should get a credit card my wife spends enough money there so anyways okay five percent. yeah that's that's solid okay so if you guys have not listened to us in the past don't know any of this stuff you may see it scrolling down at the bottom of our screen because we've upgraded all of our stuff and we're super cool now we have like so uh, but we do have an awesome community of dads <laughs> on Facebook, Instagram, and then we have a private Discord community on Discord, which is awesome. Mike Tedeschi is in there educating us regularly. You know, we have professional traders in there doing you know play callers and alerts, and we've got education out the butt. And we've got all sorts of stuff in there, so tons of awesome features. Check that out at StockDads.com/plans. If you like this episode and you want to listen to more, feel free to subscribe so you get all the updates for future episodes. And as always, appreciate everyone's support and feel free to check us out on any social media. Shoot us a message. Say hi. We love talking talk to people and stuff. And if you heard that message at the beginning of the show, like that, you know, that really cool intro, I wrote that script, which is why I called it a hit podcast because <laughs> it made me feel good about myself, you know, to just... <laughs> It's not a hit, but, you know, hey.
0: It does pretty good.
1: It does all right. But I was like, this is like my only chance to brag right here. (laughs) I'm going to do it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, other Mike. We'll catch you guys next time. See you. Bye,
0: guys. Thank you for listening to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. Leave a 5-star review and join our premium community on Discord at stockdads.com/plans. You can also follow us on all major social media platforms, but most importantly, stay
1: off the grass.